Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Let's dive into this week's guest. Thank you. Uh, so this week we have with us Patrick McGowan with Sanctuary Wealth. Patrick, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So before we kind of dive into it, um, if you want to just take a minute to, you know, give a little bio and talk a bit about your firm. Yeah, um, sure. I'll start talking about Sanctuary Wealth. So Sanctuary Wealth is an RIA and hybrid wealth management practice that serves retail institutional clients mainly throughout the United States and some some globally as well. Um, we are a, uh, a firm currently as of today's recording and we and every day it honestly grows. It's amazing, but we're we're at roughly 80 underlying uh, advisor teams that represent approximately you know 20, 25 ish billion of assets. And um, so for that for that for that community uh, of of folks, we obviously were were providing them with financial services. Um, but also, one thing that's really important to that and, and unique to that is is alternative investments. So, mm-hmm. so my role here is to focus on the um, among many things, but one thing I'm specifically tasked with is you know managing and performing due diligence research on on alternative investments, and that includes private equity, private real estate, private credit. And and some hedge funds as well, and uh, really keeping a very tight framework for due diligence, and then going out and communicating and helping to allocate to to managers. Yeah, so this is a theme that I definitely feel like hearing more of about the importance or just interest in alts as part of portfolios. Can you talk about why that's you know why that's such an important part of of what you're trying to offer clients? Yeah, um, I you know I think a variety of re- uh, there's a couple of ways to answer that question. I think the way that in our view, from an allocator's perspective, I th- I believe that there is a lot of reasons why investors are should be investing in the private markets versus the public markets. So and and alternatives mainly are brought very broadly uh, is a broadly def- defined term, but really. A majority of that is really the the private markets or things that are not are not traded. And so when I think about one example that that always kind of comes to mind in, in, among the variety of things is the diversification. So mm-hmm. you know I believe uh, Bain reported that something like eighty five percent of companies in, in the United States that have over a hundred million dollars of revenue. So real, like the cutoff is, is a pretty high standard. Mm-hmm. 85% of the companies are private. It's only 15% right. of those companies are actually public. Meaning if, if you put that into perspective, you obviously, when you, when you invest, we, you know, diversification is obviously a, a principle that everybody on the investing side community understands. And so if you're limiting yourself only to the 3,600 and really I think there's only five names that make up like 40% of, of, of the NASDAQ in terms of market cap weighting, you know, you're really not doing uh, you're not really not, you're really missing out a lot of diversification benefits. Private markets also, they're, they have other features that private markets managers that are really skilled um, have that other, other managers don't. So unlike public markets where they may, 
you know, for example, all be competing over the same stocks when they turn on their Bloomberg terminals and, and to go to buy them, you have to find skilled managers that will go out and speak with, with private companies and, and their businesses and the owners and, and try to negotiate them and purchase them. Either it could be different types of strategies. And this is also true on the real estate side. I think we're talking right. about this on the real estate side. You know, the majority of real estate that's out there is private. It's private right. negotiations, right. privately negotiated. And so, again, you're missing out on a huge swath of just the diversification and the ability for skilled managers to have, you know, real price discovery and, and, and sort of, you know, take advantage of it. So it's a, the, the last point I'll make on it is, so where that brings us today is where this, where this space has become so interesting in wealth management is that because of the rise of, of wealth and the amount of assets that have come into the space, particularly at a firm like Sanctuary, where you're seeing a lot of folks going to the RAA and independent space, we have forged and given our size and we have great relationships with really strong private managers on the private private real estate, equity and credit side to to have access to to these managers and their strategies. So we see everything. And so I think last year we did 400 manager meetings and have really had great opportunities. So I think it's why it's really important that, you know, those, the reasons I talked about, but also the opportunity here to execute mm -hmm. on that. It, it, it's, it's here, it's here unlike ever before. Yeah. I feel like I also just in trying to get my own head around it. I mean, yeah, I've covered real estate for a long time and mostly just from the side of things of what they're buying and selling and the fundamentals of the property markets, but now trying to get a, a deeper understanding of how, in fact, they are raising their own equity and how they're structuring their funds. And it seems like there's a, a bit of an evolution and hearing things uh, about things like interval funds or, yeah. you know, or just the, the, the latest generation of non-traded REITs, which are different than the, the previous one. But there seems to be a lot of different kinds of structures now. Even when you're talking about private real estate, it gets very, it can get very different depending on what kind of property type you're looking at, but yeah. also what kind of fund structure. So that does seem like a lot of stuff you have to kind of parse through here. Yeah, it, it is a big part of it. And I think what is what has happened without diving into every structure here, because I think you touched on why whether it's a, a private REIT, a public but non-traded REIT, right. or an interval fund, or or just a traded REIT, you know, those those the big difference between a lot of those types of structures are how much what kind of investors can go in them and how often are they traded and also what's the like leverage that they can use. But another, another point that's really advanced in this space is as the more, as more blue chip institutional managers have come into the space or for in other terms, like there are managers or world-class organizations that are both operators and fund managers. Mm -hmm. So you may look at, you know, I won't say any names in particular, but you know, previously you would have these these funds come into the retail space, and the institutional uh, investors knew this, but they were get around it. But retail hadn't quite had the the weight that it does now, and they would you know come to the retail space, raise a fund, and they would charge their one and twenty or whatever it would be, and like you know management fee and incentive fee, but then also be the asset you know the operator slash asset manager of the buildings and charge other fees or other types of expenses, acquisition fees, and be externally managed, which is like kind of what the, you know, the lingo is, is like, 
it would be managed, but then externally managed by a different advisor owned by the same people. So there were a lot of fees. If you look at that today, <laughs> all of it's internalized. If you look at good managers, you ask if a lot of it is internalized, where those fees go. If you, a lot of the good products today, not only are they more accessible to retail, but also a lot of those fees are very investor friendly. So it's, it's really fascinating if you, when you start to dig into it and you, and you look through, um, products now are, are very, very good. And what about, you know, just we're sitting at a time where I think there's a lot of hyper, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say hyperventilating, but a lot of concern about real estate and with the whole regional bank thing and, and the stuff about redemption requests from certain entities is how, how do you, I'm sure that then generates questions from investors about like what's really going on. So how do you deal with those kind of, you know, like moments like this and dealing with those questions and, and those kind of conversations? Yeah. Right. Well, look, I think, I think like with anything um, with, when there's a danger, there's always some sort of an opportunity and, and sort of how, how in the headlines are certainly, uh, they're not, they're not, they're never like factually incorrect, but they sometimes are when you put into the context, you know, what, where, you know, how bad could it be? And honestly, my, uh, one of the managers that we work closely with, you know, I think, uh, I was, I was talking to recently and I think that because of the shocks of 2008, that, that many of us live through mm -hmm. there is a bit of uh, an emotional still attachment there too and so when people see and talk about concepts like you know about how the market could have a downturn or cap rates rising or defaults or going through cycles that are kind of normal that we haven't seen in a long time they kind of attribute it back to 2008 and that feeling of what happened then and they see banks go under or they see you know things that look and feel like they did back then and they are assuming that that's going to be what's going to happen. And they're kind of just waiting. So I think in reality, you know, we don't have that, that outlook. I think generally speaking, it, it does depend a little bit, but real estate general, and we can go into the details, but we believe that real estate provides the underlying asset itself and how you manifest that trade, whether it's through equity or credit, as we could talk about, but mm -hmm. real estate is benefiting from some of the secular trends and the tight supply and if you focus on quality locations and things like last mile products, we can talk about different verticals, but it does have that inflation protection, that inflation, you know, hedge to it, diversification, and it this performance, the strong performance the last couple of years is probably tapering, but, and obviously with the aggressive central bank tightening, um, it's led to higher rates and that is putting pressure, particularly we've talked about on the commercial real estate side, but it's amazing to see how, it, it allows investors to be very selective. And so we could talk about what that selection looks like, what we like, but I would say that that so far we haven't at our end, we haven't really seen any, you know, we sort of cut through the headlines to, to kind of have a, uh, analytical approach to it. Right. I mean, I think a lot of it is getting caught up in the office sector, which is the most challenged and for various reasons, but then yeah. it's, it's kind of gloss. It's, it's sort of then glossing over the fact that other sectors have not, ha are not being affected nearly in that kind of a way. And then, mm -hmm. and a lot of them have very strong fundamentals. So if you want to stay, if you want to, you know, just avoid dealing with that one sector that it seems extreme to then draw like to, to, to tar, 
the entire commercial real estate universe with the same brush, you know, just because of what's happening in one particular segment. Well, of course, yeah, I think that that is like sort of a, 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 you know, an observation that I think is is true. And I think office is cyclical. And and our investors, when you look at the sort of and this is where it gets into the, the underlying products and funds, like when you look at a uh, when you look at different types of, of, of funds, like some of the larger core diversified funds, I'll get into some of the stuff that I think we like, but Office is, as far as the Odyssey benchmark goes, I mm-hmm. think it's 22%. Industrial is like 33, multifamily is 28. And I think that, and again, my numbers, you know, depending upon where, you know, when this comes out and, and my data, but it's within the last sort of six months, you know, it's not, it is, a, it's a very important. We think there will be, you know, some issues with, with office, particularly on the, on the debt side and in cities where people aren't really can going back into the office and maybe the, uh, leases are coming up, but, you know, I think when we, we could talk about some of the stats on that, but, you know, it is, it is a portion of the index and this is just speaking to core but a lot of the products that are out there with the savvy the savvier managers while there are some other interesting opportunities even the sort of basic beta like exposure to private real estate a lot of those folks are underweight office so mm-hmm. it doesn't really uh that doesn't really keep us up at night quite as much um i would say okay yeah and so yeah and when you're looking are, are you is it by that kind of core core plus value add opportunity that that sort of a matrix in terms of looking at different funds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it does. It's 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 core, but it, then it's also I would say it, it's core slash like proper. We sort of look at property types right. the same way you may look at like in themes and non core. And I think when you get into whether we're doing ground up versus uh, you know, development and, and things like that, it gets, it gets nichier, but mm-hmm. I do think like in this market, of course, like, um, something like industrial logistics or rental housing or healthcare are really interesting, have interesting drivers right now, like industrial logistics, obviously with e-commerce and transportation mm-hmm. costs and, and, you know, uh, there are some constraints, but, you know, rental housing, obviously, High home prices have made it more attractive to to rent. So rental housing is pretty interesting, and you want to emphasize resilient markets with better supply constraints. So um, healthcare, you know, there's expanding. We see a lot in the life sciences research areas, senior housing, medical offices. Um, these are themes that, and I'm sure you, you you know how much you know you follow the space. I think that these are some of the some of the themes that everybody is is talking about. They are there in the headlines of, of what's out there in the news is, you know, about, you know, office real estate in San Francisco. And I, and I just don't think that that's really what, you know, what, when we invest, you really have to be analytical about it. And then the other thing I would say is on the debt to equity side, like mm-hmm, the capital mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to ask about that. And we, we can go, we can talk about that next, but that's certainly, um, you know, that's as far as the sectors, we think about core and then the subsectors within it. Okay. Yeah. And then, so if you want to just, you know, your thought was going there. So if you want to just talk about that debt equity picture. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I think a lot of, I would say the main theme, like as far as today goes, if if you like those underlying assets, 
for the reasons I described. And, you know, these are, this is just sort of a lot of the research that I read through some major consultants and stuff. You can express that by, by, by putting equity in, but at this time, given the way rates have moved out, you can step in on the debt side and you can, you can lend and enjoy higher spreads and have greater selectivity across the risk spectrum. You know, to your point before, banks, some banks may be lending or reduce their lending due to uncertainty, or maybe they have some other, you know, capital constraint issues. And so you see private lenders, private real estate uh, focused lenders, opportunistic credit managers, mm -hmm. uh, asset based lenders coming into this space and earning low teens returns, which is kind of like the target return you're going for in this right. space. First lien senior secured. And, and, you know, that's, that's without getting into like MES and other types of, of debt that are under that. Um, yeah. And then there's also a major opportunity in the, in this com coming commercial real estate um, maturity wave that's coming in the next year or two. Right. So you're getting like equity, like returns on debt. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's a far more conservative approach to, but still having the conviction around real estate but expressing it, you know, through, through lending. And yeah. it didn't make a lot as much sense uh, when rates were at zero, right. but with 500 basis points of, of spread, you know, of, of widening um, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. That's why I feel like it's like, just again, from my seat, interesting to sort of see how this plays out. Cause uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if, if all alternative lenders will come in and fully be able to replace whatever banks have to fall back on, but there's, there's something there that's fun. And that makes this a fundamentally different kind of period than 2008, you know, like when mm -hmm. there were a lot of more like financial systemic issues and also a lot of really bad debt floating around on the commercial real estate side. And I think that we're just like in a very different moment. So I, I, I understand what you're saying about like why, why everyone would kind of just, their reference point might be this most recent thing that happened, but it just feels like we're not really in that kind of a, a cycle again. We're just in a where real estate goes through cycles. I'm been covering it long enough to have gone through some before 2008 yeah. as well. So um, I feel like you know, yeah, it's just it should be yeah, it should be an interesting time. Yeah, look, and I think I think like in the U.S., um, there are some interesting uh, places to be, as I said, in those sectors. Um, and then there are some. I think there will be. Um, as we talked about on the equity side, where you may not want to be on, you know, or on the debt side, I think, you know, everyone's talking about this wave of commercial real estate um, coming due um, on the debt side in the next year or two. And, you know, some of these buildings that, you know, were, were made, you know, had loans out at, you know, 60% LTVs or however they were underwritten in, in these major, in these major metropolitan areas where everyone has left you know, their leases and, and maturities are coming due, I should say, and they have to refinance that that debt as the building owner and the tenants may or may not be there to support that. And not only that, when they go to re-underwrite the loan value, the L and the LTV may not, may have to be re-underwritten. And so to get keep that 60% or 50% LTV, there's going to need somebody to come in and step in and, and uh, provide additional equity. To, mm -hmm. to maintain that level and who really right. wants to step in and do that if, if you can lend at double digits. So I think it's going to be, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, sort of like banks own a lot of that stuff. I think that ultimately 
it's going to be a huge fortune that will be made for a lot of the private uh, real estate lenders out there. And again, as I said, there's, you know, in our space, we've, we've talked to some really, really good real estate uh, credit, like world, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, world-class global organizations that are there and kind of, uh, and kind of waiting. So I think it's, yeah. it's going to be great. And I think that's gets back to something you were talking about before too, that you're meeting with, I think you said 400, man, you know, that's not all real estate, but that includes real estate, but you're meeting with yeah. folks all of the time uh, mm-hmm. to really vet this stuff. So you're not, you know, you're, and yeah. I imagine that some of that is folks that you are proactively invest, um, investigating or doing your due diligence on as well as folks that are maybe trying to knock on your door. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, we, we are, um, you know, we essentially have uh, in in the wealth space, I should say, and in the in our space, we have institutional and we have retail clients. So, you know, for for your wealth clients, we look at the different types of of you know. We, let's just focus on where we have higher conviction. As I said, it was like on the credit side and these certain particular sectors. But you can access those through these different structures. Or we, we in the beginning of our conversation, we talked about so. We meet with managers and we keep a space, a few spaces open for those sectors where we have high conviction, but we may have an interval fund or we may have a non-traded REIT and then we may have a drawdown traditional institutional QP vehicle that is distressed and or or is you know just core, like a core odyssey fund. So mm-hmm. we keep something for every kind of type of investor. And um and it is just it's a it's it's our job to to do that and constantly meet with them. We have to meet with them and do on sites annually and and write our due diligence memos on an ongoing basis. So it's um it's it's what drives I think it cr- allows us to be I think successful and in, in um in in at least avoiding some major uh, issues. Yeah, and what about I guess one other area is the idea of some of tax advantage structures mm-hmm. um you know things like dsts or opportunity zones funds or yeah. like and how do, how do those fit into when you're assessing uh opportunities well so th- they fit in a lot so they're it's something that we we you know the those those structures are always on the forefront of um, really the the sort of you know what's going on in in discussions around Washington and these tax you know structures and and how and how beneficial they've been and and every year a couple of years there's always rumors about whether they're going to continue or they're going to stay right. and and I sit on a lot of these sort of organizations or talk to a lot of these organizations that try to stay close to Washington to figure out what's going on and and so. So that's one part of it is is just like you know staying on top of of what's going on there now as far as you know in our world like we have real life events and as do corporations where they're selling properties and buying new properties whether it's because of a life event or a corporate event or whatever and you know these are if you if you need to take you need to use these if you have a good advisor with you they're going to tell you you need to use these or else you're just at a disadvantage so when we look at it, we'll look at a manager and we'll have we'll look at their fund, for example. Let's say let's say um 
you know, they're, they're going to do some 1031s or they're going to basically with that, you know, essentially when you sell a property, you have something like 45 days to identify a new property, right. 180 right. days to contribute to a new property and close. So we look at, you know, some of the stuff that that might be what they're going to 1031 into. But what we do is we take it the entire history of that they've done bef in the past and what they do. And you'll see it's a very repeatable process and track mm -hmm. record about what they do and the types of uh, buildings they're doing. Uh, you know, opportunity zone funds seem more developmental. They're right. uh, meaning on the development side, whereas on 1031, it's more like fully stabilized properties you can buy or you see a lot of triple net lease stuff. Mm -hmm. um, those are both good. And on the Opportunity Zone Fund side, there's really interesting opportunities where people do things like uh, pre-TCO investments, which is like buildings are still in the development stage, but they're very, very close to almost being finalized and they, and they have a good idea of how it's going to rent out. So you can de-risk a lot of that um, as well if you, if you work with some of these really good global managers. And I would say if this was uh, five or 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have as many you know global blue chip brands to kind of work with that we know can execute um so i think we can de-risk a lot of that i just wanted to give you a chance though, if you had any you know last thoughts that you wanted to share or anything that that uh, didn't ask you about that you thought might be good to to underscore before we wrap things up oh no i mean i i appreciate this is a, a really great like forum um to to explore these concepts and you know here at 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 uh uh, you know, if anybody has questions or reach out, they're welcome to reach out to to us or anybody at Sanctuary. So I appreciate appreciate you doing this and everything you're doing. And I think it's, you know, this education is key. And uh, so, no, just, you know, thank you for, for going out here and doing this. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, uh, it's always great talking to you. Great. Same here. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it will show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WRE, this is Wendy McConnell inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.